Johnny's Gone for a Soldier. And it's your classic woman's side of the experience. There goes my son, there goes my husband. And when he marched over the hill, you might never see him again, and you might never know what became of him. You are listening to End If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to that great podcast in the sky, and if love remains. Um, this is Mike Levitt, your sometimes virtuous, occasionally vile, but always virile host. And with your help, we will go viral by doing that thing that you do by sharing, subscribing, you know, you know the drill. Please do all that stuff. Um, and today, um, I, you know, this is one of those really great episodes that, that I've been I've really been looking forward to. Um, I reached out to to Diane and and uh, and my 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 e- original email got sent back, and so I was all very concerned. Um, but I reached out to her, and it worked out perfectly. And she was very gracious to come on. We're going to speaking to Diane uh, Diane Taraz. Um, she is a folk singer composer well she's a singer all around singer but she she does a lot of folk music jazz blues standards um she um she creates programs that, that use the music of an era to show the inner lives of people who lived long ago um, women especially left behind few records of their existence but the songs they use to speed their work sing a child to sleep or ease an aching heart uh, shows us their minds and heart. Uh, Diane is on the scholarly advisory board of the Gilder Lerman Institute of American History, based in New, New York City, brings her programs to museums, universities, libraries, and historic houses throughout New England. Very excited to have Diane Teraz on. Thank you for being on And If Love Remains. You're welcome. <laughs> well, Diane, I I was introduced to you by by the the um you know the great Google in the sky um <laughs> and and YouTube. Um I I saw I was looking up different songs for projects that I'm working on. I was looking up different songs from um the time period of the revolution and and came across your music and first of all, Diane, I I have to just start here. You have a beautiful, wonderful voice. I love hearing your voice. It's one of those voices that that I could just, you know, it it's like butter. I could just listen to it forever. So, um, I wanted to share that first of all. I really recommend people listening to you sing, um, no matter what it is. Um, but we're but you you came out with a song uh, an album um, uh, called Songs of the Revolution, and then you have and then I was very excited when I reached out to you that you have a new album just out called More Songs of the Revolution. Um, so, which is, which is great. <laughs> we need, we just, just good stuff. Good stuff. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got interested in, in folk music and, and doing this kind of historic, uh, music stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I started way back in high school with a book called 100 English Folk Songs. 
And I didn't understand most of them because they tend to start right in the middle of the most dramatic action. They don't explain who anybody is or what the setting is. You're supposed to know all of this stuff. And uh, they were from hundreds of years ago. So as I proceeded into the musical world, I mean, I, I uh, hung out with people who did folk music and heard a lot of it and heard it on the radio, Steel Eye Span and very, inter and, you know, groups uh, and, and just absorbed the language and gradually learned what they were all about. Uh, and then um, maybe about 15, 20, oh, I also joined a, a band and learned a great many more songs from them. And then I, um, I, I was recording my own material that I had written, but I also always put in some folk songs. And I came up with a program called, well, I collaborated with a fellow who was doing a program called Images of Women in Traditional Song. He was a retired professor. So he taught right. songs in a very academic way, but he couldn't sing. So he had me to <laughs> sing the song. And we did a bunch of gigs. And after a year or so, we parted company. But I uh, came up with my own take on it and called it A Silver Dagger, songs about uh, the lives of women in the past. And it was great when I did it, but I had a lot of trouble booking it. People didn't quite know what they were going to do with women's history. You know, what were the men going to do while we talked about women's history? Right. <laughs> so then I thought, well, if I change the focus just a little and make this Songs of the American Revolution, oh, everybody knows about that. 1776. Right. So I did come up with a program, Songs of the Revolution, and then I made a companion CD to sell when I did it at various places. And that was the original Songs of the Revolution, a 21-song salute to the music. Right. <laughs> 21 songs on there. And I needed, you know, a male voice in there because a lot of the songs are in the voice of a man. And sometimes I sing in the voice of a man. Um, a lot of them show the woman's perspective, which is less commonly done. Um, right. Folk songs tend to get around this by often saying, as I walked out one May morning, I overheard these people talking and this is what they said. And then it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you can relate the story even in the first person. So it's all a little, but I didn't want a male sound. So I got my friend. Um, oh, no, I knew this would happen. Jonathan Gilbert. Thank God. <laughs> oh, I've been there. My best friend. What? What's his name? <laughs> um, it's too full. There's too many lyrics in there. But right. anyway, Jonathan not only sang on that first CD, but he contributed whistle and fiddle, and he did arrangements of of instrumentals, and it was it was wonderful, and it really struck a chord. It, it is by far my best selling of my two dozen or so CDs. Uh, a lot of of downloads and streaming as the world has progressed in England. People in England are particularly interested in this. Era. That's wild. That's so interesting. Who is this? I mean, it is English music because we were English, right? It was very much a civil war. So then, of course, this led naturally to the Civil War, which is music mm -hmm. hundred years later, hundred and fifty years later, much more modern. Because 
because the stuff from 200 years ago, it's just full of language that is hard to understand. Whereas the Civil War is very much our era, even though it's a while ago, and gave rise to really all of our popular music, um, which all arises from the music of African-Americans. You know, it all came from there. And so then I did a program on mill workers and one on World War One and, you know, various pro I've got if you go on my website, there's a dozen or more <laughs> programs yes. <that's> evolving. <laughs> but <laughs> I realized it was time to do another dip into the inkwell, as it were. And I figured, well, I made I did so well with Songs of the Revolution, let's call it more songs <laughs> purely a marketing decision but um in the intervening time i between these two recordings i had sort of gone further away from you know the actual time of the revolution so this has songs that goes all the way back to the first europeans who settled in plymouth and their music and it's oh it's, wow i find it just fascinating Um, there's a great song on there written just a few years in called New England's Annoyances. (laughs) It's a, it's a 12 or 14 verse complaint about squirrels are eating the seeds and the deer are eating the corn and it's so damn cold. (laughs) It's delightful. And I found someone had written an entire book about this song and figured out it was it was not written as part of the argument in England going on about whether you should come or not. Some people came and left immediately and went back to England and said, it's terrible. Don't go to New England. But then others were, were saying, yes, yes, you should come for this reason. Actually, this song was written by somebody already here who was entertaining his neighbors with classic new england humor about how dreadful it is and (laughs) that's wonderful (laughs) so that was a lot of fun of course they were extraordinarily religious they they had uh you know but they didn't have hymnals they um and they used the psalms for all of their religious music for all of their church music so it was called psalmody and one of the first books they printed was the bay psalm book and okay. Example, but the psalms are just free verse poems. They're they're not really meant to be set to music, so they had to adapt them. And an example is the perhaps the most famous psalm, the twenty third psalm: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." They turned it into, "The Lord to me a shepherd is want; therefore not shall I." Yada yada yada. yada. <laughs> wow. Into, so I have that on there. Uh, a couple friends of mine and fellow musicians, uh, Lori Francis and John Yanis, we created a choir with the three of us. Right. So, you know, it's it's a little wider and broader. It sort of gives you the whole atmosphere of the colonies from the time. And then we get up to a song like uh, Katie Cruel, which was written uh, around the time of the revolution here. Uh, okay. Uh, woman who, uh, well, she says, when I first came to town, they called me the roving jewel. Now they've changed their tune. She says, they used to bring me the bottles, 
plenty. Now they bring me the bottles empty. And it doesn't say exactly what kind of trouble she's gotten into, but something's not right. <laughs> right, right. You the know, chorus, the chorus is just let me give you a little bit of the chorus. Yeah, please. It's like driving directions in Boston nowadays. Oh, that I was where I would be, then should I be where I am not. Here am I where I must be, where I would be, I cannot do. Oh, little lily day, oh, little lily day. Oh, wow. That's so, what we're like, where, where am I? <laughs> Really? I am where I am, and I hear I, I'm here where I I'm here. I could be somewhere else, absolutely. Yeah, that's so, wonderful. So that's on there, and then there's the girl I left behind me, a classic. It became a fife and drum marching tune. Um, yeah, you know about how all the girls all over the world are so wonderful, but you know my girl back home, she's got them all beat. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, you, you got to have somebody you're fighting for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of how that all uh, came about. And now I, I don't really know anyone else who does this. I know people who uh, embody characters from the past and talk right. about lives, but I don't know anyone who combines the music and the history. And the benefit is that the music is, if you can find original versions, which thanks to the internet, you can now, you don't have to look at the, the version that went through the Victorian era and got all tidied up. You can go back and look at the original music many, in many cases or the earliest version you can find. And you get all kinds of insights into what people thought and what their concerns were. And it adds um, emotion and immediacy to history that's usually not there. Usually it's just the facts. Right. Or some dramatic battle or political things going on. But uh, on the first CD, I did um, Johnny's Gone for a Soldier, which has mm -hmm. been my major YouTube, hundreds of thousands of views. Yeah. And it's your classic woman's side of the experience. There goes my son. There goes my husband. And when he marched over the hill, you might never see him again. And you might never know what became of him because. Well, there was no government yet to right. keep track of him. Uh, there were like lists of enrollments, but um, there were no telephones. You know, if if something happened to him, you had to hope that his commander or one of his comrades might write you a letter and let you know what had happened to him. If wow. you got the letter, perhaps you decided he was dead. Occasionally, after the service a few months later, here he comes over the hill. <laughs> Stuff, <laughs> and hopefully, in the meantime, you hadn't remarried or anything terrible like that. Right, I, I'm sure there was maybe a one, once or twice that happened. <laughs> had to, yeah, I'd had to, or you you waited a decent interval because, like I said, that was just communications were so poor back then, mm -hmm. and the organization just didn't exist. Even in the Civil War, there was at the beginning of it, no dog tags. No, very few records kept. By the end, everything had become very organized. <laughs> so that was right. a big change in the Civil War, but certainly in the time of the Revolution. So, and there's no politics in the song. It's just, oh, damn, he's gone, and I'm so sad about it. <laughs> right, there, you so know, I there's used it with all the emotion that I could, and 
And it's one of these songs that doesn't even have verse and chorus. It just has the same music for all the verses, which gets a little wearying. So I made up a, a, an interlude. I put in a couple interludes, which I think of as keening, as wailing, you know, mourning. And uh, that really livens it up. And then I played it on the dulcimer, which is another very antique sound, very old instrument. So that is, you know, kind of an example. We take not not what the war is all about, not even why he enlisted. We're right down to he's gone. <laughs> right. And I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again, which is was the experience of so many parents and wives and sweethearts and children for that matter. Right. You know, and, and yeah, war is such a terrible thing and, and uh, in any context, but especially in the context of, you know, and, and I do think about this, the, the, the devastation of losing a husband, you know, especially in, in, in that kind of rural community where, you know, you know, trying to keep up a farm, trying to keep up, you know, a, a, a livelihood and, and raising children, you know, without a husband during that time was, was, it's not the same as it is today. I mean, it's, it was very, very difficult. Yeah. And most widows and widowers, if they had children married very quickly after they right. were grieved, you know, just a few yeah. months of that, because life had to go on and you needed to. Right. You needed people to make it go. <laughs> yep. Well, um, talk a little bit about your process of discovering, uh, researching. I, I'm thinking a little bit about the about the hymns you mentioned at the beginning, um, some of those early religious songs, because I've seen some old hymnals and and how they work, and and it's interesting to me how um, a lot of the old a lot of those old hymnals you'd have the the lyrics, and then you'd have like different tunes that you could put those lyrics to. And, and so a lot of times, you know, what was the original tune that went with that? Well, we really don't know. So talk to me about your process of like trying to discover, decide which tunes, deciding, you know, how to, to put all that together. Exactly. Well, uh, hundreds of years ago, tunes and words were not nearly as connected as they are now. Uh, like you said, uh, hymns, tunes uh, would have many sets of words. In fact, in many hymnals, uh, you go to the back and there's a metrical index, which shows you which tunes have the right number of measures to go with which sort of poetry. And right. so uh, a, a hymn would be sung to all kinds of tunes. A great example is Amazing Grace. The I think a major part of the appeal of that is that amazing melody, which has Scottish roots, it has uh, black roots, it has, it came from, we really don't know, in the early 1820s, 30s, somewhere in there. That's when the melody we sing it to arose. But the words were written in 1780-ish by a slave trader who his ship was in a storm, and as people do, he promised God that if he lived, he would stop selling people. <laughs> and he did. He was saved. So when he says, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, that's what he means. He was a wretched right. being. <laughs> so he wrote that as a poem with no music at all. And you see notations of what you were suggested to sing it to. There was a melody called Hepzibah, 
there was a melody called Tisbury. So mm-hmm. it had different, and let me, to, to really blow your mind, let me give you a little amazing grace to Tisbury. <clears throat> okay. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see, was blind, but now I see. Was blind, Whoa. but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. It's just like, oh, I certainly was not expecting that refrain. Wow. And you know why they did that? Nobody had any hymnals. It was way too difficult and expensive. Not only, they might have had words, but they certainly didn't have music notes. That Creating something like that was beyond... Uh, the printing presses, you know, it would be incredibly expensive. Right. So when you get to the end there and you know what the words are, well, let's sing it three more times. <laughs> and they used to line it out. Someone would sing the first line, the congregation would repeat it. Someone would sing the second line, repeat. So that was was part of that as well. But yeah, the whole feel of it is, is marching on. What a different, yeah. And I actually, I haven't looked into what Hepzibah is, but I'm sure it had an equally different sound. So, um, like I said, eventually it found its way to that beloved melody, which is so evocative. And and the combination of the words and the melody is probably the favorite hymn or America's favorite hymn for sure. So, yeah, um, I mean, when I'm looking for music, one of the keys is trying to go back as far as you can. And thank God for digitized, Googleized. You can now, instead of having to drive to Maryland to some library and get the book off the shelf, you can see it right there on your computer. And the way they do the books is great. They do the first page, then they do the blank second page with the library's name on it, then they do the blank third page, then they do the fourth page with the copyright information. It's like, okay, let's get <laughs> right. <laughs> so you can see the original because over the years, especially music, um, when we hit the 1800s, people started cleaning things up. They said, oh, that's, a, that's an unlikely like thing for that character be, to be doing. Let's take that out. Let's change this so it's not quite so sexual. And right. <laughs> There's a lot of great songs from the past that are very frank about sexuality and all kinds of issues. Impotency, there's a great song called Me Husband's Got No Courage in Him because she's still a virgin virgin after five years of marriage and she's just in despair. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that that really, of course, the Victorians would never sing anything like that. But there it is before that time. So one of the tricks is to find what are called primary sources, not the telephone game later. But although those can be very interesting to see what people did with music and how it moved along. Um, on the new CD, More Songs of the Revolution, I do To Anacreon in Heaven, which was the original song that we now sing uh, uh, the national anthem to. It was a song for a gentleman's drinking club. And it's just full of, you know, 
Greek mythology. That was how you showed you were educated because that was education, learning Greek and Latin and all that stuff. So, you know, <laughs> but that melody had been used for a whole bunch of different sets of words, including some by Francis Statsky before he set, you know, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? It was right. well known all over the place because it was such a great melody. Da, da, dum, 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 dum. And we, we yes. find it very hard to sing now. Everyone starts really low. But um, I find music from hundreds of years ago is usually very complex and challenging and has wide ranges. And uh, it's interesting, I guess, part of your education then too was to learn to sing and learn to dance and learn to come yeah. yourself. And, uh, they're not, um, simple. <laughs> well, the, the range of emotion that you find in these, that's one, one of the things I think, um, I love about folk music and folk songs. It, it is so real and so human. And, and, um, and as you mentioned, like you do, you do feel th just thrown into this strange world if you're not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, you mentioned the song before. I think one of the most poignant and interesting songs is that song, The Silver Dagger, um, mm -hmm. that you perform. Um, because it is, in some ways, it's so relatable. Um, and yet it's, it's um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's relatable in the sense like it's, t it's, why don't you explain what the song is about and, and, because I think there is a, a modern context to it. Mm -hmm. Well, so what, what, is, yeah, go, go ahead. What is the silver uh, dagger oh, silver about? Dagger. Well, it's, um, uh, starts right in the middle with a woman sleeping, uh, next to her mother and sharing a bed, which m most people did several hundred years ago. Nobody had their own bed. Sometimes a whole family had one bed. Everybody piled in, and it was good in winter to keep from freezing to death. So she's sleeping next to her mother, and here comes her lover, and she says, shh, don't wake her up. In her right hand is a silver dagger. <laughs> she's ready to act, and what she's doing yeah. is protecting her daughter from her own fate. Because uh, in a wonderful verse, says, my daddy is a handsome devil. He has a chain five miles long. On every link, a heart does dangle of another maid. He's loved and wronged. He is yep. a rascal and obviously uh, knocked up mom. And she's not going to let this happen to her daughter. So she's sleeping with a knife. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> no. Life is going to go on. But um, it's a fascinating moment of, you know, determination and 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 at, at least during the song, the girl says, "Go back home. Nobody's gonna. I'm not gonna have anything to do with you or any other man." So at least mm -hmm. for the moment, she's getting the message. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it, it, to me, it, it it really speaks to that. Um, I, I don't know that 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 very um, mother bear spirit of, of like, I'm going to protect my, my kin, no, you know, no matter what. No matter um, what. And even to maybe to their own detriment sometimes. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if she happens to do somebody in, well, that's not going to end well for her either. Right. That, that won't be a good, <laughs> yes. But yes, I guess it's about the threat. Yeah. It's a great example of how folk songs are drastic. I mean, they're just, 
everyone, well, first of all, you don't want a song about a boring thing. You know, you want the most exciting thing you can think of. And, um, and just, um, I've just lost my train of thought. Oh, well, it'll come. Well, right yeah, around. you're right though. That you want them dra- drastic, especially if you're going to oh, well, sing them over the campfire right. every day, every day. Them were not subtle. You know, these were people from the lower working classes. They were struggling to survive and, uh, they're not so much interested in the doings of the wealthy beyond gossip, you know. A lot of songs are gossiping about nobles and kings and queens. That was entertaining, just as we still find it entertaining. Right. What do they do now, those royals? <laughs> the livelier, the better. Um, but they had very concrete concerns, and uh, and they sang about them. Um, and the nice thing about singing is you don't need training. You don't need an instrument. It's nice to have, but you can just do it, and you can do it while you're doing other things like churning butter or, you know, walking a great deal. There's a great song that starts as I was a walking. Uh, we says we had not been walking, but a few miles together. It just, it just tosses that out. You know, that was not unusual. We just set out the front door and walked five miles. What's, what's unusual about that? <laughs> we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore, right. We, no. we drive our car to the to the mailbox. <laughs> we, our, we drive our car to the gym, the classic thing. Right. That's we can't classic. close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and it's too hot in the parking lot. And then it's too cold. You know, <laughs> the uh, there was a wonder. I've also read a tremendous amount of history and there's been such wonderful history um, that looks at people's everyday lives. Um, and there's a particularly fascinating one called Albion's Seed by David David Hackett Fisher, I believe is his name. He's a professor. And um, he looks at how the people who came here came from four main parts of England and each had their own distinct personality you know, in New England, they came from this spot in the eastern Midlands that had been troubled for centuries. This was where all the revolutions started, all the descent. Uh, that's where the pilgrims came from mm-hmm. and the Puritans. And he shows how that character rushing around, always busy, 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 uh, has persisted. I mean, people who move here from laid back parts of the country and the world, before you know it, they're Yankees running around, complaining incessantly. Right. Then there's the people who came from the southern plantations, settled in Virginia. They were slow. They talked slowly. In fact, their accent was what we think of as the black dialect of, you know, Mark Twain and whatnot. That was how their owners spoke. So that was how their slaves spoke. That that right. And uh, they just sat on the porch and had a mint julep and took it easy. What's the right. point rushing around? <laughs> then you had the Quakers who settled in, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and they were busy but not wasting any time. And everyone. Mm-hmm on the same footing and you made sure you were always doing something worthwhile and everything was very well organized it's this is and then what's great is later in the book he tells you different characters like Patton 
was from the Scotch-Irish, who came from the Scottish border where they had been fighting for millennia. They came here, the only land left was the border, where uh -huh. they had to fight with the Indians. So they just kept right on fighting. So like Patton was out in front of his tank column, <laughs> Scotch-Irish border That's raider. so classic. Richard Nixon was a Quaker type from the Midwest. Right. White Eisenhower leading the whole Western military. Never was in a battle himself, but he organized. Right. <laughs> and, you know, even when people move to other places, they tend to keep their... It's a really fascinating book. And he goes into the language and uh, the language is great. Well, I, you know, I've, I, in fact, it's funny. I had a friend of mine um, mention something about his family history and he was asking me about mine and, and uh, you know, asking where my, my family, when they came to America and such, and uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> and my, my family, uh, like the John Levitt came over to the new England area. Um, you know, he, the, the way the family lore is, is he was apprenticed to somebody in England and jumped his apprenticeship and yeah. came over here and was caught, came, went back, but then ended up coming back to America. And, and, um, so that's my, that's kind of the legacy of, of that kind of free spirit. Don't tell me what to do. You know, you're not the boss of me. And one of the penalties back then for committing crimes in England was to be transported. Australia was not yet the convict place to send, to send people. They sent them to New England <laughs> and they had to serve, you know, a certain number of years being someone's servant, essentially, mm -hmm. but it had a fixed time limit. And when they were done, they could either go back to England or they could stay here. Most of them stayed here because you had a slightly yeah. better chance at uh, setting up a life for yourself. <laughs> Not wow, much. Yeah. I, I had, um, um, oh, see, I'm doing the same thing. Only yeah. I'm not going to remember his name. Murray. His last name is Murray. We're going to call him Professor Murray. Um, he's a professor. At, uh, he wrote the book Scotland. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to him about the, um, the, the Jacobites and some of their influence, you know, coming to America with uh, Hugh Mercer and, um, you know, a bunch of these, these, these patriots that came and some of the songs that they brought and some of the music they, because they were so, um, they hated the King so much <laughs> and mm -hmm. they, they really desired to, um, and they had these like secret songs that they would sing, um, to, to show their loyalty to Liberty, um, and, and their, their defiance of the King in subtle ways that wouldn't get them in trouble necessarily. Right. Um, and I just find all that stuff just so fascinating of, mm -hmm. of, you know, what people do to, um, to communicate the things that they love, the things that they hate, the things that they desired, you know, music is such an important part of that, that whole um, communication process. Right. And the African-American experience. I mean, yes. the original spirituals were slave songs and they were filled with code about how to escape. Uh, Swing low, sweet chariot is not, really about getting to heaven it's about getting to the north and the chariot coming to get me with moses which was the name for harriet tubman was someone to help guide you north you know wade in the water that said you know walk in a stream so the bloodhounds can't track your scent there's just 
filled with code. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, the owners love to hear their, their enslaved people singing. Listen how happy they are in the field. Of course, every time they were singing about Pharaoh or the devil, that was you. Right. <laughs> wishing you would head off <laughs> as soon as possible to whatever your reward or punishment might be. That, yes. Yeah. Um, there's a song that I I can't get enough of off your um, off the first uh, revolutionary album. Um, I love it so much. It's um, um, "Come Here, Fellow Servant." I don't oh. know what it is about that song and about that melody. It's so fun. Talk to me about that song. Um, well, that um, I found that in a play. It comes from a play written in London. A lot of the music and popular things that came to the colonies were from London plays. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, it wasn't a musical. There was one song in this play, and that was Come okay. Here, Fellow Servant. The play was called High Life Below Stairs. And it's about a man who disguises himself as a servant to spy on his employees and see if they're okay. cheating him or whatever. And... This song at the end, the message is that, you know, livery was the special clothes that, that servants wore. It says, we're all in a livery. Everybody serves something. We're all. And it has this air of equality that is so unusual then. It says, right. nature made all alike, no distinction she craves. I mean, that was not the prevailing philosophy. <laughs> the no. Prevailing Philosophy was that God was in charge of everything, and he had placed everyone exactly where they belonged. And if you were a servant or enslaved, that was what God had made you to be. So it was like sinful to question your status. Um, and this song is just flying in the face of that. Yeah. Now, it does say at the end, uh, we'll drink like our betters and dance, sing, and love. They do recognize some people are better off. There are betters and lower classes. But it says, you know, and then it says, when sick of one place to another, we'll move. For right. with little and great, the best joy is to rove. I mean, could there <laughs> be a more American? <laughs> Not at all. That we've been getting up and moving ever since we got here, well, and I even think that come. that line about you know we'll drink with our betters, like it, it, to me, it, it feels like even today, like when I when I'm you know driving in my older car, you know, and I'm driving in Scottsdale or something like that, and I see these beautiful Teslas and these Mercedes, and I and I do, I think to myself, you know what, like they're going to the same place. Yeah. They're not driving any faster than me. No. Like there's nothing that's 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 like technically more I mean maybe slightly more comfortable but like there's nothing different about it. so when we right. we'll drink like our betters we're going to we're going to dance we're going to play we're going to have fun and we'll probably have more fun cuz we don't have to be so uppity. Probably. Yeah, just like on Titanic, you know. She had the most right. fun low decks dancing with the with the low class people. <laughs> But yes, it's and it has this wonderful bouncy melody, and I could see the original play, and I could see the original music, so I know that that's and the words. So and it it what happened is that it, the song made its way across the ocean and started being sung, you mm -hmm. know, first in New England and then traveled around the other colonies, and everybody liked it, so they sang it a lot, and it. It's it's subversive message, you know, must yes. have 
percolated through to hear, especially if you heard your servants singing, you know, oh, nature made all alike, no distinction she craves. What? Right. <laughs> than you, obviously. <laughs> also, if you were better off, it was considered a sign of God's grace. So it's, it, I mean, it's a dreadful philosophy that, yes. that blames people for anything bad. Well, if something bad happening to you, it's because you're a sinner or you're paying for the sins of your parents or your grandparents. Um, you know, the whole idea of guilt was a major. Oh, that, that <laughs> caste they, system that, yeah, that, you know, yeah. we see, you know, we've we, more recently, like in Indian stuff, is just an awful. Yep. Yeah. You know, philosophy because it traps class- people. Yeah, we have a very still have a very classist society. We're yes. Trying, but it keeps uh you know, I'm I'm not going to get into the current politics, but it seems there's always a backlash. You make some progress where mm-hmm. people general average people get a little toehold to make their lives better and then there's a backlash. Right. <laughs> So um, I feel like we're in a major backlash right now. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think there's times are changing, and and you know, it. Here we need we you know it's it was funny, and and again, <laughs> I want to keep this you know very ancient, <laughs> you know, two hundred, three hundred years. But I, I did find it um, interesting. My my father was was talking about um, the the. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think. He was talking about um, it was during the pandemic and how we were locked down and things, things of that nature. And he just said, you know, the difference between now and, and the 60s revolution is we have no great songs. <laughs> we don't have any great protest songs right now. We need more great protest songs. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, because I, I, and I feel that way, like like we need some more good protest folk songs that, you know, can can that people can sing and, and really um, you know, get their feelings out. Um, yeah. another great song I'd, I'd love for you to share your, your, um, feelings about, and it's one that everybody knows everybody's grown up with it in America is Yankee doodle. Um, Yankee. <laughs> it's a wonderful song. Um, and it's funny because it, it was, it was from my understanding, it was meant as a, um, making fun of the Americans. Is, is that right? Is, am I right that about is, that? That is right. Um, During the French and Indian War, the 1750s, (coughs) New England was fighting France. Well, England was fighting France for control of North America. There was a colony called New France up in Quebec. And um, so George Washington was uh, a lieutenant or something, or maybe a captain in the French and Indian War. He was a British soldier, of course. And the colonists, the militia joined with the British and they went off to fight. And so one of the British officers was less than impressed uh, with the Yankees. He felt they were perhaps cowardly. He kind of questioned their hygiene. He really didn't think much of them. So he wrote a song making fun of them. And he actually used a slightly older melody. He, of course, didn't make up new music. People always used older melodies that were floating sure. around. No copyright at that time. It was thank so goodness. old, it was called <laughs> The Air from Who Knows Where. <laughs> <laughs> and so he wrote um he wrote this 
Brother Ephraim sold his cow and bought him a commission, and then he went to Canada to fight for the nation. But when Ephraim he came home, he proved an arrant coward. He wouldn't fight the Frenchman there for fear of being devoured. <laughs> and then Yankee Doodle, he calls him Yankee Doodle. And um, and that's a slightly older version of the melody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different, slightly. I and I do both on there. I start with the older one and then I do the newer one. Okay, but, yeah. Um, but the the whole thing of putting a feather in his cap, well, a doodle is a, a fool, a silly person, Yankee Doodle. And a man on a grown man on a pony looks ridiculous. And uh, the feather he stuck in his cap, he thinks it makes him just as fashionable as a macaroni. <laughs> and a macaroni was uh, started in Eng- in Italy and spread throughout Europe and England. A young man just encrusted with powder and lipstick and lace and stuff. Oh, wow. And a huge wig that looked like you dumped a bowl of pasta on your head. So it was called a macaroni wig. And then it, it used that term to refer to these foppish men, these macaronis, these fashion plates. Right. So the joke is... You know, the turkey feather isn't going to do it. <laughs> You're not yeah, as, yeah. as a macaroni. You can find great old engravings of macaronis. <laughs> you know, they're wearing high heels and lace cutaway jackets and the wig and the whole it's just Oh, that's wonderful. Men were peacocks back then and women, but uh, the men have kind of retreated into a monotone wardrobe now <laughs> right to be flamboyant unless you're a drag queen that's true that's true things are a changing <laughs> um so um so then you know 20 years later uh we hit the american revolution and both sides are playing this wonderful melody which is great for marching along and for your fife and drum corps to keep you going if you gotta march six miles whatever 10 miles, 20 miles. Um, and and slowly the, the Yankees adopted it as their theme song um, and made up new verses. Dozens uh-huh. of them. Some of them were rather rude. <laughs> <laughs> They're rude. You can find the rude ones if you like. And um, so I, and then, but then most of them, there was a classic, you know, template that a young boy visits a military camp and he's just agog, you know, at everything that's going on. They're running around and it makes him scared when they shoot off cannons and yada, yada, yada. So, but then of course, when the constitution was ratified, new verses appeared and I put in a couple of those at the end. So a good melody just got used over and over over right and this song never had any political content there are lots of other songs with all kinds of you know arguing this was just for fun just to keep you going my my understanding if i remember the story right is that that again kind of in mockery the americans saying the yankee doodle as the british were surrendering in yorktown is is did you hear have you heard that story i've heard that story I have also, that may be apocryphal. I've also heard that they played a a tune called The World Turned Upside Down, which seemed very appropriate. Yes. For this great power surrendering to these country bumpkins. I have read uh, from a primary source um, 
uh, and once again, remembering the name, Lucy and uh, the guy who brought the cannons to Fort Ticonderoga. I can't remember his name. But anyway, he wrote a letter to his wife, Lucy, okay. about the surrender. And he said one of the terms was that they could no longer play Yankee Doodle. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way. We want you to awards and you won't be playing Yankee Doodle anymore. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's that's the kind of pettiness that I can appreciate. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um before we before we finish up, I, I want to ask you just maybe some hidden gems, some songs on your newest album um that you that you maybe yeah, that you find as hidden gems that you love that 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 that, uh, that people should look for. Yeah. Okay. Well, we talked about Katie Cruel and New England's annoyances and the Lord to be a shepherd is. Oh, there's a wonderful one called Blue Cap for Me. Uh, it's it's a um, Scottish, and I added this wonderful Scottish feel to it with fifths, mm-hmm. like a bagpipe. Oh, yeah. And this woman has a whole bunch of suitors. She has a guy from Italy. She has a Spanish fellow. She has a German with mighty mustaches. (laughs) (laughs) And she rejects them all and says, no, if ever I have a man, blue cap for me. Because Scottish men wore blue caps. And so finally at the end, a guy comes along with a blue cap. And he was the party for whom she had tarried. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's wonderful and it's it's a great song yeah um there's a great one a just very short happy well it's a happy song but it's a lament it's called hedger and ditcher which i learned from um maddie Pryor and june Tabor. i think it's on their silly sisters album they've been big heroes of mine um and it's a girl who wants to get married but as she says the money comes slowly in and she needs a dowry and doesn't have one. And she says, oh, dear, must I die an old maid? Oh, dear, how shocking the thought. There's nobody coming to marry me. Surely it's not me on fault. <laughs> that's also kind of funny. Oh, that's great. Oh, oh, and one of my favorites, the Battle of the Kegs. <laughs> okay. The, uh, this was written by Francis Hopkinson who was a real rascal. He signed the declaration for one of the colonies and he wrote copious things. He wrote a satirical play. He would write an essay in one issue of the newspaper under a pseudonym. And the next week he'd write under a different name, arguing with himself, saying, no, 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 that's not, <laughs> nobody knew it was the same. He was a real rascal. Oh, so that's he great. wrote this song, Poking Fun at the British Panic, when uh, the colonials filled some kegs with gunpowder and tried to use them as mines, and did they didn't go off, they did no damage, but the British totally panicked, and for a day and a half, they blasted every bit of wood in the Delaware with their cannons and their muskets and everything. And Francis just makes complete fun of them. <laughs> and I, I, it's it's a fun little thing, and so I um. I managed to find on this site called Pixabay, which is public domain, free images and sound effects. I found the sound of a cannon, and then you hear the ball go plop in the water and bounce, (laughs) splash, splash, splash. Oh, that's fabulous. 
I, and then I, I, they had the sound of a crowd panicking. So I've got that in there. So that one is totally fun. And the last one I'll talk about is uh, I put one on there that I wrote. The very last song is the ballad of Deborah Sampson. She was a woman from central Massachusetts who uh, after the uh, surrender, there was an insurgency going on for a couple of years. And yet all the regular soldiers went home. So she managed to disguise herself as a man and enlist in 1783 and served for a couple years as Robert Shirtliff. She got away with it because she was very tall, taller than most men at the time, and uh, young and strong, and they were desperate. And so um, she served, then she was wounded, and they found her out. But they, they, instead of condemning her, they cheered for her. And a number of years later, Paul Revere uh, convinced jo- Governor John Hancock to give her a military pension. Oh, wonderful. Which she richly deserved. And then she went on tour as one of the first women to speak in public. She put on her, once her children were grown, she would put on her old uniform and hire a hall and march up and down, do drills and talk about her experiences. And as I say in the song, people came like flies to honey. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. And she made, made some ready money that way. So <laughs> I wrote a song about, about I could really haven't seen a song about her. So I said, well, she definitely needs one. So yes. I wrote that one and put it on there. So. And that's called The Ballad of? The Ballad of Deborah Sampson. And Deborah Sampson. S-A-M-S-O-N. And of course, before long, People put a P in there because mm-hmm. she seemed like the biblical strong man, Samson. <laughs> she had to be named Samson. You can't right. let the fact stand in the way of a good story. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. It was actually a S-A-M-S-O-N. <laughs> oh. Well, how, what is, I, I, first of all, second of all, third of all, I don't know. Thank you very much for being on the show. This is like, uh, this, I love talking about it. it really, it, it takes me away from, um, you know, some of our daily grinds and it's so beautiful. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about these beautiful, wonderful songs. Um, oh, what's you. the best way for people to find your music, buy your music, support your work? Um, how can people do that? Well, they can go, they can stream or download or, or purchase my, uh, well, I don't know that you can get physical CDs anymore. We've kind of passed that point. Right. But certainly streaming and downloading and purchasing it online at Amazon or Pandora, Spot, I'm on all the streaming services. Okay. You can go to my website, which is com. Uh, and if you want a physical CD, I'm happy to provide you with that old technology. You can send me an old-fashioned check to my old-fashioned post office box. Hey, I like and I it. Take a physical thing and put it in an envelope and mail it to you. It's miraculous. Whoa! <laughs> and it just shows up. <laughs> and you know, a few uh, years ago, a few years ago, I was just about to get rid of my post office box because nothing yeah. came there. But it's box 1066. It's the oh, how, I how couldn't could get you that up. No, I don't know it's how I got perfect. that. 35 years ago, I got that number. And my husband kept saying, no, no, you have to keep it. You have to keep it. Well, sure enough, now, regularly, I get 
pieces of paper with writing on them and checks. And I put the physical CD in and mail it off to somewhere. So you can always order the CDs from me. I don't know that you can get them on Amazon and other places. They're just not doing CDs anymore. Yeah. I began my career just as, as LPs disappeared and CDs came about. Right. And now now LPs are coming back. Yeah. Now (laughs) I've reached the point where LPs sold more last year than physical CDs. Isn't that crazy? On that a little bit. Right. (laughs) No, I'm not, I'm not going back to the LP. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But what's nice is my music goes all over the world and I don't have to go there. Yes. I, I get sales downloads. I get not what I should get, but I get a little bit of income from all right. of these times that it's played in all of these countries, Japan, New Zealand, Spain, Mexico, Canada, New York. Now Florida. you also put on online, online concerts. Are you, is that something you're still doing? And oh, can people, yes, I, I do first Saturday concerts via zoom. So you could be anywhere. And uh, if you want to join my mailing list, which you can do on my website, dianeteraz.com, I send out an email once a month. That's really the only time I send it uh, with the link. Um, and you can zoom in and I sing for about an hour. Sometimes there's a theme and sometimes there isn't, but I always have a great time. So, Oh, very good. Well, I, I'll, I'll be tuning in a few times, I think, that. I, because I love, I love your voice. I love your, I love the things that you do. So, um, thank you for being on and if love remains, Diane, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. It was delightful. Hope, uh, as you hopefully can tell, we'll do it again. about this stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. So we'll, we'll do it again. I know, I know I didn't, I didn't, I know I didn't dig all of your stories out of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just recently wrote a book. We could talk about that too. Mike is gone. You are listening to End of Love Remain. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down. 